how do you create a strong system that makes good doctors great or good at any clinician great, but also um, reduces that cognitive burden of them having to make a lot of small decisions so they can focus on the care of the person in front of them or the population that for which they have responsibility. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health, a podcast from AHIP. I'm your host, Matt Isles, joined by my co-host, Laura Evans. The Next Big Thing in Health is brought to you by IBM. IBM has been transforming industries for over 100 years. That's why IBM Watson Health was created with the bold endeavor to transform health. IBM Watson Health is committed to helping build smarter health ecosystems. That means working with you to help you achieve simpler processes, better care insights, faster breakthroughs, and improved experiences for people around the world. Visit ibm.com backslash payer to learn how IBM IBM Watson Health can help you accelerate change with data-driven solutions. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Karen DeSalvo, Chief Health Officer at Google Health. She's also Adjunct Professor of Medicine and Population Health at University of Texas at Austin Bell Medical School and President of the Society of General Internal Medicine. And Dr. DeSalvo was National Coordinator for Health Information Technology and Assistant Secretary for Health in the Obama Administration. Basically, Karen is a rock star in the healthcare world. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Matt, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. Great, so maybe I'll, I'll start off and it might be helpful for the audience to understand sort of what led you from your role in the Obama administration to your role now at Google Health. You know, I get asked a lot about my my journey as a doctor. It's been a, it's been an unusual one. Uh, you know, I started out um, early in my career as a um, medical educator. I was on the faculty at Tulane in New Orleans, and um, taking care of patients, teaching residents and students, and um, very quickly got uh, involved early in my career in systems level work, quality improvement, and even um, back in the late '90s was um, the chair of the medical records committee at Charity Hospital, where um, one of the things that we were looking at was an electronic health record. And this was literally like 1997. So uh, early early on in my career, I think I had a penchant for um, being interested in how to scale, how to um, automate what could be automated to augment the work of the clinical team so that when you're in the exam room or at the bedside, you can think about the care of the person in front of you and the system's just gonna work magic around you. And, and as I've had various stops along my career, including public service, um, when I left public service, I, I really wanted to have the chance to work in a, in a place with people who um, were excited to create systems that would support the care experience for uh, consumers, uh, but also for the clinicians, such that um, we would augment um, the, the kind of decision-making that, that sometimes can slow things down or improve the availability of information to make good decisions. And uh, Google is just an exact kind of place for that. I mean, this is a place where billions of people come every day to search or YouTube or maps or other, other, other surfaces to get information. And one, we really want it to be uh, accurate, authoritative, uh, especially around health. And there's all kinds of other ways that we're thinking about um, improving the, the care experience and the health experience. So 
now some nine months into my role here, it feels so normal and natural. But yes, it's a great question you asked because I, because I think um, it wasn't an, an obvious next step, but certainly does seem that way now, especially the more I know about the company and, and how much opportunity we have to really create a much better future. And Dr. Salva, let me ask you, you've been a leader through crises before, and you were the health commissioner in New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina and a senior official at the Department of Health and Human Services when Ebola broke out. So you've you've, you've been around the block a few times. What makes COVID-19, what we're going through right now, what makes this crisis different from any other crisis you've faced throughout your career? Well, definitely scale, Laura. I mean, I think um, even as, as, as horrific as Katrina was, there was still an opportunity for people to come help us, you know, um, to rebuild houses, to clean up um, the streets, to bring water, like what, whatever it was that there was a need for. And that's been true in other crises, um, whether they're weather related in, in New Orleans or uh, uh, or the Ebola you mentioned, Flint uh, response, Zika, these were other things that I've been involved in. And always in those contexts, there's the system has not been quite as overwhelmed as it is now. And I think what's been um, a real strain for the world is that no place is untouched, no body is untouched by SARS-CoV-2. The COVID uh, virus is um, also brand new to us on the planet. So we're having every minute of every day to learn how to interrupt spread, how to build uh, therapeutics, build a vaccine, build a new economy, like sort of everything's having to be reinvented uh, to, to adjust to, to the, the virus. What, what um, has been, I think, very encouraging to me, and I, I see in other disasters, is people coming together. In a, in, to collaborate and to solve um, when there's a major challenge that is a shared threat. Uh, and I think the scientific community especially needs to be lauded for the way that they have, they have um, across borders come together to share information and to really uh, advance the science. So that's, um, I think, uh, a similarity and, and something I hope stays. Maybe just one more point, which is like many crises, Sometimes it shines a light on things that we didn't have to look at. And Katrina and COVID had some similarities here where um, inequities in, in outcomes, especially health outcomes, have become uh, in stark relief in both of those, those cases. And it's just a reminder, a call to action that we have significant amount of work to do in the U.S. and all around the world to see that we're creating services and programs and policies that eliminate inequities and don't exacerbate it. Uh, it's not that the COVID... Um, pandemic has created them. It's just shined a light on them and, and, and caused us to really, it's created some, some disparities, but it's certainly uh, in, in, in health outcomes for people who get infected, but it's just helped us understand that this happens every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's such important perspective uh, for all of us to have uh, right now. And as we face one of our greatest public health challenges in, in our lifetimes, what opportunities and challenges do you foresee when you think about technology and public health working together? Well, you know, the, the realization for me as a public health professional that um, we had the opportunity to create authoritative content in partnership with authoritative bodies like the World Health Organization or the Centers for Disease Control, that um, we wouldn't have to so much push out because people were pulling on it all the time was... Um, I don't even have the right word for it, Matt. It was relief is maybe the word. Because when you're in, in public health, 
um, you, you, you make, you make evidence-based messages and you, and and you do risk communication and you hope that people hear it and see it. So the chance to be a platform to lift up the messages from public health authorities so that when people come looking for information was just the, a really important first step for us. And it's, it remains a priority because what we know in, in, disaster response and frankly in everyday public health messaging is that the right information saves lives. So we feel that's a a sort of a job one here. Uh, Though as we've continued to to listen to public health authorities, to practitioners, to the public, we've learned of other ways that we can be helpful throughout the pandemic. And, And we've been strengthening our partnerships with the public health community in a number of ways. And, and I'll just give you some top line examples that the, some of that would involve, um, for example, our community mobility reports, where we, we took an idea that relates to a busyness factor for say a restaurant and applied that to busyness in retail, transportation, parks, et cetera. So that as public health officials were applying shelter in place or, or restrictions um, to, to flatten the curve, they had some evidence to look at about how people were moving around the community. That that those reports and then the data from it have been incredibly helpful and useful for public health officials and agencies and researchers now all around the world. Um, the similar idea of pushing out data, like we've just released the symptoms uh, search trends, which is a way that uh, this is an idea that grew out of this anosmia concept that someone noticed that people were searching on anosmia, some researcher and. And it, it, it caused us to realize we needed to uh, push out more information of anonymous search, search data so that the public health community and researchers could start to do a better job of predicting subs, uh, outbreaks, but also collateral challenges uh, from COVID. And the third one I'd mention is uh, a, a deeper partnership with public health agencies around contact tracing. We're working with Apple. We've built a technology that augments traditional contact tracing to support um, the exposure notifications process. And in all of these areas, I think it's just been a way for tech to get to know public health and public health to get to know tech. And I speak a little bit of those, I speak a lot of public health and I'm learning more um, uh, big tech language. And it's just been uh, joyful for me to watch these two really important parts of the health ecosystem um, get uh, find ways to work together to build bridges. And I hope it sticks because Public health often works with health plans or with the healthcare system, but this is a new, uh, you know, the fact that that big tech can be a new entrant into trying to advance the population's health is one of the really important outcomes that I I think, I hope uh, results from this pandemic and sticks going forward. Traditional payer business models are under pressure. IBM Watson Health believes that modernization, collaboration, and personalization are key to evolving your business. That's why IBM Watson Health supports health plans in their business transformation by helping them break down data silos, drive value-based arrangements, improve care management, and engage members with personalized experiences at every touchpoint. Visit ibm.com backslash payer to learn how IBM Watson Health can help you accelerate change with data-driven solutions. Staying on that, staying on the technology piece, and then you mentioned the disparities piece earlier. Let, let me put those two together and, and talk about how uh, Google is leveraging technology 
in, in terms of COVID to help vulnerable and marginalized populations during this pandemic? What, what's happening with that? Well, are there a few ways that, that, we, that we address the, that challenge? Um, and I'll start with um, data and insights, given that uh, everybody knows that if you, if you can't articulate or identify the problem, if you can't measure it, you can't fix it, um, right. whatever all of our expressions are. And it became clear that um, there needed to be more thoughtful work to, um, to call out the disparities in COVID infection rates and um, morbidity and mortality. And so we um, uh, partnered with the Satcher Institute at Morehouse through not only some funding to help to, to support their researchers in building out a disparities map for the US, but also we have a fellows program where we um, some of our engineering and other, fel- uh, other workforce can uh, partner more deeply with, with Satcher Institute. So that's one example where we've been uh, working to lift up the, the information and the data so that the people can then act on it. We've done this with some other institutions as well. Uh, we also, um, when we're thinking about, uh, da- about data availability, for example, um, a COVID prediction model that our cloud team built, the health team and the cloud team spent a lot of time and thought on the fairness of that model. What would it what would be the uh, implications of putting out a model that would show that in some neighborhoods uh, or some areas there would be more COVID because we know that communities of color have higher rates of COVID infection. And so there's just a lot of implications about calling out or stigmatizing um, communities, e- even if you're trying to just be helpful with um, a prediction model. We, we, we um, have, we put out the model because it's better than others that, that are available, but we also have an accompanying white paper as a sort of call to action to the research community about how we need to all work on more fairness in AI models as we go forward, artificial intelligence models as we go as we go forward. So that's a, a, a research partnership, but what, what, recognizing that um, we wanna do not only better by the community by putting out AI models, but we recognize they have flaws and we got to keep working on them um, with, with others to make it better. And I, I just call it something that's a little bit different than any of that, which is um, remind folks that we have an opportunity in YouTube to build content with influencers. So this is an area where um, the teams have been working since the beginning of the pandemic to not only create what I'd call generic um, authoritative content, and, and sometimes that might look like uh, Trevor Noah interviewing Tony Fauci, um, but it, it, we're, we're going more deeply in, in trying to, to work with influencers and communities of color or for younger demographics or for seniors to build um, channels or information that would resonate with, with those communities. So what's, what's um, great for us is that we have a lot of places that people will come seek information. And we also, on some surfaces, for some of our, our products like YouTube, we have the latitude to work with uh, people who are already influencing the community to bring in uh, additional authoritative content and information. So uh, all to say, um, we're thinking of strategies that would, would resonate with the public health community, with science and practice, but also um, with, with uh, the lay community writ large to make sure that we're not just building out content that's so generic that it doesn't resonate, but rather we're, we're able to get um, more, more customized in it. And we're, we're learning on that journey with the community about what works for them, what, um, what they'd like to see evolve. And, and I, I, I'm excited about the potential to, again, continue that kind of thinking beyond even, even the COVID pandemic. But it's a, a real priority for us right now, given the, the disparities and impact of the, of the virus. 
Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a top-down, bottom-up approach, and you've got to make it grassroots, and that's uh, that's important in order to reach the people you want to reach with that with your messaging. Perfectly said. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that kind of connectivity to communities is really phenomenal, and being able to make sure that you're targeting and getting the right messages to the right people. Uh, you mentioned uh, public health uh, workers, Karen. So we, I know that uh, uh, that's a group that that Google has been supporting during the pandemic. And I know particularly close to you, given uh, your history. Could you talk a bit about how Google is helping public health workers during the pandemic? Yeah, there's been a few ways that we've that we've been um, listening to them to find out what kinds of tools and resources they need. Um, I'll start with something that may sound a little silly, but was one of the highlights for me in the um, the pandemic, and that is um, when, when we have a doodle. Um, people probably know what that is, but that's when you go to Google.com and you see the letters, the colorful letters. That's called our doodle, and you may you may have noticed sometimes that we shape that out to have a message. And we did a, a few days where we where we called out first responders, and uh, one of the, the the first day was public health, and uh, getting a getting a Google doodle focused on public health workers. And I, I had the chance to uh, write the keyword blog that day talking about the ways that we're helping public health it was an exciting moment for me because behind the scenes of that, Matt, was the need to articulate to the leadership of the company, to the marketing teams here, what public health does every day to save their lives quietly in the background without a lot of fanfare. And it was um, uh, a great um, moment for me to be able to educate and then have them turn that around into a visual. So people can go look it up and, and see what the, the Google Doodle uh, was that day. But it's it's created a lot of, of thinking inside of the company that's now translated into the work that we're doing for with exposure notifications, for example. So there's a technical component to supporting contact tracing work that the public health agencies need to do a way that people can download an app on their phone, or we now have a new version of it, which it's built into the operating system that people can turn it on. And um, it, it anonymously alerts you if you've been uh, exposed to someone who has a COVID positive test. And that information is, is given to the public health authorities with your permission so that they can reach you and tell you how to get tested and what actions you should take. And then it supports the contact tracing logs. One of the things, for example, we're finding in 21st century uh, world of contact tracing is that people don't answer their phone when the contact tracer calls because it's this number they don't recognize. And so there's already been this need to, to have additional ways to notify people they've been exposed. But that technical piece of, of exposure notification that we've built out to support public health. Um, we've also brought in our marketing team. So that's the through line to the doodle. And some of those same people are thinking about, okay, well, we also want to help public health get the word out. And now that, and, and because they, they the, the, are, are really incredibly talented uh, teams who, who think about how to send messages out to the world are partnering with public health agencies at the state level around the US and around the world to say, how can we help you lift up the information about this app that needs to be downloaded um, that, that is owned by the public health agency? It's their messaging, their logos, but it's another thread of support um, that, that we've been able to provide for public health. And, I, I, and honestly, it was, a, it was a spontaneous way that, that the, because the marketing teams began to understand that these are public health 
workers are, are sort of um, un, uh, unsung heroes, that they need a lot of extra support, uh, that, that they were able to think about leaning in and make sure that they were helping in other ways, including with the exposure notifications work. So Karen, you've been so generous with your time uh, today. Maybe one final question that we ask all of our guests. So what do you see as the next big thing in health and what kinds of innovations can we look forward to in the field of public health? And what are your hopes for the future, especially as we think about getting past COVID-19? Um, so, you know, we didn't talk too much today about some of the artificial intelligence and machine learning work we're doing for clinicians. So maybe I can come back sometime and do that. But our, the, the, uh, the counterpart to the work we do with consumers is work we do to support clinicians. And I, I'll mention that as sort of a next big thing because certainly when you're practicing medicine and you're trying to keep up with um, however many millions of new liter uh, manuscripts that are coming out every year to inform your evidence-based practice of medicine or um, the, the multitude of decisions that we have to make about people with, with many concurrent chronic conditions and contextualize that in their own, their own social drivers and, and their own cultural and, and other value sets. You need some augmentation and, and what, you know, we're reducing the cognitive load, not just for docs, but for other parts of the healthcare team is a way that, that I think we, we really can advance medicine because it'll give more bandwidth for, for clinicians to focus more on the humanity component. Uh, I harken back to what I said at the beginning of when I started thinking about systems level work early in my career, it was how do you create a strong system that makes good doctors great or good at any clinician, great, but also um, reduces that cognitive burden of them having to make a lot of small decisions so they can focus on the care of the person in front of them or the population that for which they have responsibility. And, and we've done um, you know, some, some really interesting work to improve therapeutics and diagnostics with AI, but I think, I think it's worth watching. It's not a replacement, it's an augmentation. And, and I, I think that's how we have to figure out how AI becomes part of the healthcare team. The other question you ask about public health, uh, I mean, I've talked a lot about in the podcast, so I won't go into too much, but I do think that public health is what we do together as a society to create the conditions in which everyone can be healthy. And that, those words are loaded with all kinds of concepts, but one embedded in there is partnership and that public health can't do it alone. They need, need partners. And, and I do hope that, that tech and public health continue to partner leveraging AI and data, big data and other resources that might be useful. The final thing you asked was about what I hope comes out of COVID. And um, I hope we come out of this better. Uh, I hope that we remember that we're all connected as a community. And um, sometimes that seems really obvious when a virus can be transmitted from one person to the other, you realize that we're connected in that way, but we're connected in many other more positive ways. And um, I think that the, the better future for us is to be thinking about uh, our neighbors, our families, our friends, our communities, and how we can be supportive, not only of our own health, but think more contextually about how we create healthy environments um, and, and healthy communities so that uh, every kid has the kind of chance that we want our own kid to have. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health, brought to you by IBM. Traditional payer business models are under pressure. IBM Watson Health believes that modernization, collaboration, and personalization 
are key to evolving your business. That's why IBM Watson Health supports health plans in their business transformation by helping them break down data silos, drive value-based arrangements, improve care management, and engage members with personalized experiences at every touch point. Visit ibm.com backslash payer to learn how IBM Watson Health can help you accelerate change with data-driven solutions.